Welcome back to another Buckeye Talk. We're going to be completely honest about this. We honed in on the off-topic Ohio State thing for this podcast immediately and had a 15-minute discussion off-podcast that we're going to duplicate here and make it 30 minutes probably because we have very strong opinions and divergent opinions about food delivery. And then we were like, what are we going to talk about for Ohio State? And it took us like half an hour to come up with what we're going to talk about with Ohio State, because this is a hitting the downtime a little bit. Yeah. Right? It's The draft is over. Uh, Spring ball's they over. They have a lot of recruiting already done. Spring ball's over. So we found some stuff. We're going to talk about the most dangerous players on the team, the guys who scare the opposition. I did a list last week of the 11 most dangerous Buckeyes. We'll see if Bill and Ari agree or disagree with that. We're going to reset the recruiting class a little bit. Already did a list of the uh, top targets they have remaining. We'll tell you again. Just update you on who they have, who they're still after. Um, and then we will have a hardcore, probably angry, um, hurtful discussion about food delivery. And it's only hurtful because there's only one of us that has unresolved anger issues. <laughs> so, um, Doug Lamarie, Spill Landis, Ari Wasserman. You can find our coverage at cleveland.com. Slash OSU. We appreciate you guys reading us. We appreciate you guys listening to Buckeye Talk. Find it on iTunes. We have our own little thing there. You just type in like Buckeye Talk and it just magically appears. So go subscribe. Tell your family to subscribe, your parents, your friends, your cousins. Get them to subscribe. You can also find us um, on Stitcher if you want to do that. My so, father called me and said, hey, how do I subscribe to iTunes? And I said, oh, okay, Dad, you want to get on the on the podcast wagon? And he goes, no, I want the streaming music. And I was like, oh, great, Dad. <laughs> and he's like a – he enjoys Ohio State football. He reads, he, he reads all of our stuff, and, and he likes our coverage. But and does he drive in his car sometimes? He does. But he usually has like a 12-inch cigar in his mouth, and he's listening to Buddy Rich albums. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm still trying to work on him, but I thought like, hey – my own father is finally coming around to our uh, podcast, and he just know he wanted to stream music. So my we're dad working listens. on him. Does your dad listen? Yeah, he shout, says he does. Shout him out. Yeah, hi, Dad. Doctor Pockets. Doctor <laughs> Pockets. Yeah. yeah, do like a code word, and then you can ask him, and you can check if he really was listening. I Doctor Pockets is a code word. You okay. Know that. Yeah. All right. So we'll see if Doctor Pockets, hey Doctor Pockets, <laughs> really of, is listening. And we'll my get going. But speaking of like code words, do you ever like? have conversations with people in your life that you always talk to all the time and then you say things that aren't necessarily typical just like in terms of phrasing and then as you're writing like use that word on accident because it makes sense but like I need an example like I'm trying to lose weight right now and my buddy asked me are, you, are we still humming like are, do we still hum? and then I use the word humming for like how Ohio State was assembling their podcast and I didn't or I mean their uh, recruiting, recruiting class and I was just like that was unintentional and I didn't know if that, like, if like other people's language ever seeps into the back of your head when you're writing. Might I don't know. I might like randomly write ice cream flavors on my stories because that's what I'm thinking <laughs> this is about. What he's thinking about. <laughs> that's a prelude to the ice cream delivery discussion. I applied to cover ahead. the New York Yankees because I thought we were talking about candles on so. <laughs> Um All right, so listen, we'll run through the dangerous Buckeyes again. You can Google this: Ohio State football's eleven players the opposition will fear most in 2017. And I did this. Before the Oklahoma game last year, after the first couple games of the season, I did a story about, like, who really is going to scare Oklahoma? And by that point, you knew Curtis Samuel was going to scare a defense. You knew Malik Hooker was going to scare a passing game. They established that early last season. I don't think this team has players as scary as those two guys right now, where Malik Hooker absolutely is somebody you have to game plan for. Curtis Samuel very quickly last year became somebody you have to game plan for. 
So this list is defense-heavy, which is part of the point. This team is defense-heavy. A lot of questions on offense. And so I'll just run down. I'll give you my reverse order of the top 11. And just you guys comment on, does that make guy make sense generally in that spot, do you think, or do you think I was nuts? Okay. 11 is Jalen Holmes. Fourth best defensive end on this team probably, but I think it speaks to the depth of the defensive line. And all in my story, I have all these little GIF or GIF. Is it – what do you guys say? GIF. GIF. GIF, yeah. These little GIF highlights, and the highlight for Jalen Holmes is him being inside at tackle and breaking through and getting a sack. And I think he's particularly dangerous in the Rushman package as an end who moves inside and can be really hard to block in passing situations. So does Jalen Holmes even being on this list make sense to you? Yeah, it does to me. I, I I really like Jalen Holmes. I've said that before when we discussed uh, the roster. It's possible, and I didn't sit down and come up with my 11. It's very possible, I think, that I would might have had him lower on my list, like somewhere in the top 10. Um, I like, and I guess it's a little similar to Tyquan Lewis, like a guy who's good, who can play inside and outside and sort of just does what you ask him to do and doesn't really gripe about it. And this isn't to say that Nick Bosa gripes about it because he's not griping. But he didn't like playing inside. I think it's pretty obvious he wanted to play outside. Jalen Holmes, like, you never heard anything from Jalen Holmes. Like, we need you to play inside. Okay, I'll do it. We need to play outside. Okay, I'll do it. We need to send up. I'll do it. Um, I think a guy who's willing to do that while being talented to me would have uh, carried a little more favor. And I think I would have had him a little more. I'm looking than that. at your clips. Um, that sack came on third and seven in the third quarter on the road at Wisconsin when Ohio State was down by 10 points. And I don't want to mention any other names on this list until we get them, but there are people – I'm sorry. Um, there are people higher on this list that might not have made a play that big for Ohio State all year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he belongs on this list. I think in another alternate universe when Ohio State didn't have three other really good defensive ends, he would be one of the better players on their entire defense. And I would almost go and say that that one play right there – might be more valuable than some of the plays that you have later down on the list on both offense and defense. So I think that, if anything, you said you might not have him on his list. I think I might consider No, no, I said I'd have him higher. Oh, I'd higher. Have, oh, yeah, I yeah. thought you meant you might not. I yeah, might have said I think, it wrong, but I might have had him. I would have him in my top Oh, okay. Yeah. I would have him higher, maybe. Okay. And again, this is projecting to 2017 what we think as we look ahead with what opponents are going to think about these guys. So number 10 is Paris Campbell, and the highlight here is a 91-yard kick return. Um, he just hasn't shown it on offense. I mean, he hasn't. He has 13 career catches. He is going to be the starting H-back. He's going to fill the Curtis Samuel role. Whether he'll be anything like Curtis Samuel remains to be seen. He's not going to be Curtis Samuel. How close he can get, we'll see. But he has not shown it on offense. That's, like, not in dispute. But he can be a dangerous kick returner, if he, and if he can bring any part of that to the offense, whether getting handoffs as an H-back or catching short passes and doing something with it. Um, when I was going through the highlights, I found another thing. I think it was the Michigan game. When they were – this is almost – I'm almost sure this is right. When they were needed a drive late in the game and JT had like a 40-yard run late in the Michigan game. Yeah. I think it was on second down. I think the first down play on that drive was like a little curl by Paris Campbell and JT hit him in the hands and he dropped it. And it was like that you it's the Michigan game in the fourth quarter and you drop the pass that hit you in the numbers. So that's that's the last regular game of last season, and we're still seeing issues with Paris Campbell's hands. Well 
So is number 10, uh, you know, with what we think he could be in 2017, is number 10 on the list? Looking sense? forward to what we can think, what we think about 2017, I think 10 makes a lot of sense. Because in spring, Ohio State made him Ohio State, the H-back, right? We agree that he's probably going to be the starting H to replace Curtis Samuel. I think that move alone is an indication that he's supposed to be one of the more dangerous offensive weapons. Can we agree on that? Yeah, I mean, I think this. I think in this offense, when it works right, the H-back is the second most important position behind the quarterback. So if Ohio State's H-back, which has actually brought a spark to the special teams game, and that's probably the best return since Jalen... Marshall returned to punt against Indiana. Having him number ten, I think, is an indication of what his of what you just said. The H back on Ohio State's not supposed to be number ten. They're supposed to be one through three. Yeah. And having him at ten makes sense because it's hey, there's potential there, but he's not I think that you put him in the exact right spot. Yeah, I th- he should be on the list based on his position. The thing I'll say I just think it's always important to say this when we're talking about the H back and like the replacement. H-back is a slot receiver. What made Curtis Samuel so dynamic is he was that and the number two tailback. Yeah. I don't know if Paris Campbell's even the number four tailback. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll be very curious to see if he gets the ball at all on yeah. handoffs. Do they run? They've abandoned the jet sweep to a large degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed Warner and Tim Beck basically abandoned that. And Tom Herman had made it part of the offense. Even with Curtis Samuel, they didn't do it very much. Curtis Samuel, like you said, was getting them handoffs as a tailback. So I don't <coughs> know... I'm curious to see what the H-back looks like with Kevin Wilson calling the shots. Um, but, yeah, if Curtis Samuel play, I mean, Paris Campbell played running back in high school. So he has great running back in high school. He has that skill set if they want to. But we have never seen him line up in the backfield. He did look bigger. Right? Oh. And we watch a limited amount of practice in the spring. We don't get to see a lot. But there was one practice in particular where I thought that he was like – Making every catch that was thrown. He was like the number one target in making every play that could possibly make. And I think that that's kind of what has paved the way for a lot of watch out for Paris Campbell because the media, we all saw it. But 10, I think, makes a lot of sense right now. The thing that I just don't – if you drop a pass on a needed drive on first down against Michigan, it's easier to make catches in practice than it is to make in a game. For sure. So, like, I – He's got to show me that he can make yeah. tough catches. And e- or make, make easy catches. Well, this is the entire philosophy catches. that we have in the passing game in general. Because, as you said, and if you were a loyal listener, a lot of people have just assumed that Ohio State's passing game is repaired. Kevin Wilson has, as some people on Twitter enjoyed, Doug's fairy dust analogy. I think that is consistent with Paris Campbell and the way we feel about him, too. we got to see it. Number nine is Draymond Jones. Defensive tackle... The the most the plain makingest defensive tackle on this roster, and I don't think it's close. Um, other than when they played the ends at tackle, and then we they talked in the spring about this lineup where they, they want to keep Draymond Jones on the field on passing downs, and maybe Sam Hubbard's going to play some outside linebacker. Um, he at times has the quickness to. And that's, I mean, that's that's how you make a difference at defensive tackle. The highlight that I have in here is against Michigan, where he just beats the snap and gets off the ball and is in the backfield like before the running back even gets the ball practically. And if a defensive tackle can do that a couple times a game, you can change a game. So I know you guys, we've all written about Draymond Jones. He was part of the Cleveland series, Northeast Ohio series you guys did at the end of last year before the bowl game. Um, is Draymond Jones nine on this list? Does that make sense? 
Makes sense to me. Um, I think there's an argument to be made to put him even higher. He should certainly be on it. <clears throat> I don't know. Do you think it's is it is an Adolphus Washington Washington comparison? Is it too early for that? Because I, 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 I often go. There. I would argue that Draymond Jones is more advanced for his age than Adolphus was. And it Adolphus took a while came in, and maybe the yeah. reason why Adolphus seems like he was on a slower path path is because when he came in, he was coming in as like. He was Joey Bosa before Joey Bosa. Right. He was a so, five-star top one of the right. players in the country. And Draymond Jones wasn't that. But I think he is able to impact the game at the level that Adolphus Washington was doing at the end of his career. And I think Draymond Jones is doing that now going into his redshirt sophomore season. And I think that, like, game, the game it happens in for these highlights and when they happen. Ohio State was down by 10 in the late third quarter against Michigan. I would maybe put him higher, too. I think, too, a thing, and it, I don't think this is always notice, noticeable with guys, like, he got better. And, I, like, the Michigan game, he, he stood out. Like, he got better as the season progressed, and I think a lot of it was becoming more uh, accepting of his role as a defensive tackle because, frankly, I don't think he was happy to be moved inside at the start. Um, but he realized the impact he could have there, and then he got more comfortable. And then at, at the end of the year, he was he was probably their most improved defensive lineman from beginning of the year to the end. It's funny. I mean, this is what we wrote about when we did our big series on defensive tackles a couple of years ago and recruiting them. And Larry Johnson said a lot of it is finding ends that you can move inside, finding big, long, athletic guys who can play end but who also can move inside. And the thing is, it's, it's more fun to be in – it's more fun to be an end. Yeah. Ends get sacks. Tackles eat up blocks. Like, it's not as fun. But Draymond Jones, I think, is the exact kind of guy. Now, they, they're they getting some other tackles now in recruiting, some big-time tackles in recruiting. But that is that is part of the model of what they want to do. Um, eight's Mike Weber. Thousand-yard back. And I think it's – go ahead. You guys tell me what you think. I mean, I, Mike Weber is good, not electric. I think Mike Weber should be behind everybody we mentioned already. It, well, it's because it's it's the word dangerous. Yeah, he's not dangerous. He's consistent. he's not. Yeah, he's he's what we said before. He's steady. He's consistent. He's not the most dangerous tailback on the roster. I don't think because dangerous you think of like a home run hitter and a guy who could run for forty yards and a touchdown. And you don't see it coming. Like Demario McCall. Granted, we haven't seen a lot of him, but we know he has the speed at the very least to be able to do that. And I think that they envision J.K. Dobbins being a very similar type of player. And Mike Weber is not a home run hitter. And even the highlight that you used, which was a uh, run against Rutgers. First of all, if it's against Rutgers, it shouldn't be a highlight. Yeah. Secondly, <laughs> um, Zeke might have taken that to the house. Yeah, it's like he, he like, breaks through a hole, makes a safety miss, and then gets caught and pushed out of bounds. And yeah. it's like I feel like he gets pushed and caught a lot. And I think... Dangerous is home runs, like he said, and I don't know if he's a home run hitter. But do you think – so if you if you were let, – let's be Oklahoma. We're Oklahoma's defensive staff, and we're sitting down and we're preparing for week two already because Oklahoma plays UTEP in week one. Mm-hmm. What – would Mike Weber worry you? Would you say, boy, we need to, we need to take him away a little bit because and, – and this can be dangerous too – it can be dangerous if you get six yards every time they give you the ball and they give you the ball 24 times yeah. and you control the clock and control the game and can't be stopped and constantly are putting your team in second and short, third and short, controlling everything. That's dangerous. Would you think to yourself, we've got to do something to try to take Mike Weber away? Or would you be worrying a lot about a lot of other parts of the Ohio State offense instead? 
I'd be worrying about other parts. He would be a little bit down the list of things I'm worrying. Of course, you, he's a starting tailback. You worry about him at some point, and their read option game is so important to what they do. But he's probably, I don't know, I would say maybe at least third on the list of things I'd want to stop if I'm game planning against Ohio State. I think he's the second most dangerous runner in his own backfield. And I think... Behind JT Barry, you mean? Right. Yeah. And we'll get to that. But I kind of think of like... Are there a lot of running backs in the Big Ten that probably wouldn't have similar seasons if they were just swapped? Oh, no. We could say, like, anyone can run for 1,000 yards? Yeah. No, no. It's only happened three times here. I think think he's not that dangerous. He's a different different style of running back that people were used to seeing for three years, for two years. And, you know, we always talk about is our vision skewed because we watched Ezekiel Elliott for three years. And I don't know that it might be maybe a little bit, but you guys get it. Seven's Chris Worley. It's a little bit hard because he's moving positions, and like the highlight I used is him shutting down a quick little uh, screen, playing out on the edge, and he's that he wouldn't be doing that this year as a middle linebacker. But I do think um, he is someone. If you have an offense, you think God, that guy is uh, going to lead the defense. He's probably not going to make mistakes. He's not going to be out of position. We showed he showed last year he can cover. I think he can tackle. Uh, to me, he would be somebody that, as as an offense coordinator getting ready for Ohio State, I think I would make note of Chris Worley and say, like, the mic is pretty good. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm getting hung up on the word dangerous again, I think, with him. Kind of in a similar way I was, I was with Weber. I see a, a very solid guy, again, who I just don't like. Game-changing? I don't know. Like, But who on the defense or the offense even would you even move ahead of him? Because I think it's interesting, because if we would have done this last year, would you have made – is Raekwon McMillan dangerous? In the sense of the way that you're thinking of that word? <clears throat> More so than Worley, I think. Because I think that Worley came in as a safety and might actually be more athletic than Raekwon. I don't know. Maybe Raekwon's... Yeah. No, I, th- I think you're right about that. So, but I don't know if that... It's just not the role in this defense. But if he's going to be... I mean, like you said, we haven't, we've never seen him play Mike Linebacker before other than a few snaps in the spring game. If he's going to come in... And have some more speed and range than Rayquan McMillan, and also be maybe a little bit better in coverage than Rayquan McMillan because he's a former safety, and he can play sideline to sideline. He can cover people. That's a dangerous middle linebacker. And, and ter- like the kind of thing of like, well, we're going to have a hard time running up the middle because that that middle linebacker never goes in the wrong hole. He never misses a tackle. Mm-hmm. You know, like which I think was a lot of Rayquan. It's like if you're going to run inside, he's probably going to tackle you. And then. Again, and there are some positions that lend themselves to dangerous more than other positions. Right. It's the same thing at the NFL draft. I mean, a corner, a pass rusher, a receiver are more dangerous than an offense. There's no offensive lineman on this list. There should I, be. I was going to make a an apology to Billy Price, but and I had a, I, I had Jamarco Jones on there and then didn't put him on there partly because it's hard to find offensive line highlights. But I also stand by it because, again, we are using the word dangerous. This is not a list of the best 11 players. To me, right. it's, the, it's the 11 players that you would have to game plan for and that the opposing team would talk about before a game. So um, I think Worley – but you would be talked about if you do everything right. But the point I was going to make is Raquan McMillan made one of the five most important plays of Ohio State season a year ago, maybe one of the three most important plays, Yeah, by tipping the pass on the blitz against Michigan that turned into the Malik Hooker mm-hmm. pick six, right? Yep. I mean, that's a game-changing play. Maybe that, the top play. I don't know. I can't that, think of it. I mean, if he doesn't tip that ball, 
I think it's very possible Ohio State loses that game. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody wrote at the time he tipped it because he matched that's hands, got his left hand up to on the right-handed quarterback, all that stuff. But that's what makes you dangerous, that you're such a good player – that's part of it too, I think, that when you get an opportunity, you know how to, yeah. You take advantage of it. Yeah. And some positions get more opportunities than others, but when Raekwon McMillan came free on a blitz, he made a play that changed the game and changed the season. Uh, six is Sam Hubbard. Discuss. I feel like we got a lot of flack last week for our discussion about Sam Hubbard in the 2018 draft, and I'm worried that we came off the wrong way. You know, I, we did get some flack. But I think we said it at the time. We're not saying Sam Hubbard's not a good player. I think all we said is we think to call for everyone calling him a first-round pick right now, I, we just think that we haven't seen that. That we haven't seen that level that he's one of the 32 best NFL prospects in the draft a year from now, which is – it's a great big world out there. Yeah. I don't – we never – I mean, we're talking – we thought he'd be a second-round pick. So I don't – yes, we did get flack, but I stand behind everything we said because we are not – saying he's not good. So yeah. is six right for him? I think he could be a little lower. I think he could maybe be like eight or nine and still be okay, possibly ten. I could be persuaded into putting Jalen Holmes ahead of him, and I could probably be persuaded into putting Draymond Jones ahead of him if you just want to isolate the defensive lineman. Um, I don't I, – he – well, that's that's pretty harsh. You're going to get some flack for that. Am I? No, well, because well, I, <laughs> I don't mean to like – Be ready. <laughs> I almost said I would put him in front of Sam Hubbard when we were talking about uh, Jalen Holmes at the beginning of the podcast. And yeah, I, didn't... I will say, to be fair, the coaches who coach them every day have played Sam Hubbard ahead of Jalen Holmes yes. every second that they have been here together. Right. And, so, I, and I don't think, you know. like, I'm, I'm not saying that I think Jalen Holmes or Draymond Jones are substantially better than Sam Hubbard. I kind of view them all evenly. To be honest, so like if it's almost splitting hairs to me, which of those three you want to rank ahead of the other? So if you want to make a case for Hubbard, I'll listen to it. If you want to make a case for Holmes, I'll listen to that. I mean, too. six foot five, two sixty five, and I kind of feel like he's huge, but I don't in my mind for some reason picture him being big. He's pretty big. Um, I'm six five, and I feel a little small when I stand next to him. Yeah, he's he's really athletic. He, yeah, I, I do think he has great natural athletic gifts. Three and a half sacks is just not that dangerous to me in the course of the season. They have six and a half last year. I don't think so. I think he had six and a half last year. Really? We're looking for well, what live stat searching on during the podcast. yeah. Why don't we live stat search? But I don't think that the point changes much. I mean, your highlight of him is not a sack, so right. Now, great. So now let's play the game of did Doug have a mistake in his story as Bill looks up uh, Sam Hubbard's sacks from last year. Maybe I had a typo. Oh, no, we have three and a half. You're right. Okay. Oh, vindicated. Um, whoop, whoop. All right. Number five. Top five. I did a separate video for the top five, and I had a horror music. I know. I uh, I watched the video at night when I was at home alone in my house the lights off, and I got a little scared. Yeah. There was, like, some deep breathing in it, too. Yeah. Um, I had deep breathing <laughs> in myself. <sighs> There's nothing scarier in life than deep breathing. That's how I sleep sometimes. That's what I sound like. Number we five, know, Doug. <laughs> Den- Denzel Ward. Number one corner at a place that if you are the number one corner for the last five years, you're going to be a pretty high NFL draft pick. So, Kerry Combs looks you in the eyes and <laughs> says with a straight face and is angered if you don't agree with him that he was every bit as good as Gary on Conley and March on Lattimore. 
If that's even partially true, then number five, I think, is fair. Yeah, number five. And I think, I don't know, I might have said this before, like, Denzel Ward should be returning kicks for them. Kerry Combs doesn't want to put him back there. And I guess there's some, there's something to not wanting your top corner back there returning punts or kicks. They put their most important player on the team back there to do that all of last year. Yeah, but that was just to make fair catches okay. because Dontre Wilson was dropping the ball. Like, Curtis, I don't know. How many times did Curtis Samuel receive a punt and actually advance that punt? Never. Yeah. It's amazing how downhill their punt return game went last year. Like, they, they were. They were just afraid of dropping it or of somebody getting hurt. Anyway. The point is, if Denzel Ward were returning kicks, I could be persuaded to put him even higher on the list than five. I think five's fair. Now I'm really excited because the next one's going to get us going. Yeah. But listen, by the way, the one thing that cannot be disputed uh, about Denzel Ward is he's smaller yeah. than Conley and Lattimore. And so, like, we can't pretend that that doesn't matter. Right. At least as a draft pick, it matters. But also, let's go back to Denzel Ward covering Mike Williams in the Fiesta Bowl and see if being 5'10 instead of 6'1 matters. It I does. I presented that to Kerry Combs, and he got yeah. angry at me. Well, and I know, because Mike Williams is a freak, but... No, but he said that there were, like, coverage breakdowns and things that happened that made it seem like it was his fault when it wasn't or something. Listen... A six four guy consistently caught Shunk. passes over top of a five ten guy. It's not yeah. maybe it's not no it's nobody's fault, but all I'm saying is a six one guy has a little bit better chance to knock the ball down there. That's all. There's no question. Yeah. No, it, it's just numbers, man. Kerry Combs, if you're listening, it's just numbers, man. We're not it's no offense to anybody. There's like a sixty percent chance he's listening. He's listening. Yeah. Punching his steering wheel. <laughs> God damn it, Doug. <laughs> I really like Kerry Combs as a person. He just said that to safeguard, just in case. Uh, you know, you had to add that in there. He is, as a human, one of, definitely one of my favorite assistant coaches in my time covering Ohio State. He's, as a, because here's the thing about him is, I think it's possible that if you just view him from afar and like the high energy stuff that's very out there. It could seem, yeah. It could seem fake. Yeah. And it is not fake. He is like, I think, a very genuine person, and I think that's part of why he's a really successful recruiter. And part of what's genuine about him is that energy. He does not have to make himself do that. I think he can't help himself from doing that. And when you cover college athletics, you do, at times, run across some fake people. And um, when you meet genuine people... I think you appreciate it. And so to me, Kerry Combs is a as enthusiastic about life as maybe anybody I've met in my life, covering football or not. Um, and it is absolutely one hundred percent real. And I don't he can't he cannot go about his business any other way than the way he does it. Yeah, I agree with all that. And I like that he fights back against us. That shows me something too. Because He's a that, reader, that's what, well, that's another but, one thing. But he is not afraid to treat us as people, which is like, hey, I disagree with what you said. Which is like, great, let's have a discussion about, about it. it. Yeah. Let's not have it be like, you guys are just idiots, I don't worry about what you write. Which is what a lot of people think, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Which I would rather have someone say, like, as a, as a person on equal footing with you, I disagree with what you wrote or with what you're asking me about, and let's talk about it. Because it turns into education. Mm-hmm. And, and and doesn't mean that we're wrong all the time. Sometimes they're wrong. But let's have a talk about it rather than you just being the kind of person who assumes that because you're a football coach and we're a reporter, you're always white, right and we're always wrong. And it's not even worth talking about. Tangent. Number four is JT Barrett. 
Do you want to start this one, Bill, or I've got a pretty strong opinion? Uh, yeah, I like think I would have put him number one. I would have put him number one. Uh, and I mean, we're not. You're the post is already up. Like, if Jerome Baker is number one on the list, hey, 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 it's, hard, it's been up for like, it's been up for a few days. <laughs> hey, hey, Bill, I would have put him number one. Who was the person they leaned on when they needed to win games last year? I know he had his passing issues. I know people are not necessarily comfortable with the who, way. Who they leaned on when they needed to I mean, win Curtis games Samuel, I mean, late in the year was the defense while they weren't scoring any right. points on offense. And I, yeah. So also fair. True. zero. Zero in the Fiesta Bowl when, no offense, he didn't scare anybody. So the reason I put him number four and I in the video I said, and that's mostly because of what he does as a runner. If he is going to be as one-dimensional as he became late in the year, which is he is really not a threat to a defense as a pocket passer. He is only a threat as a runner and on broken plays throwing the ball. That makes it much easier to game plan for the Ohio State offense. Staying consistent with the word dangerous, I think when you're the quarterback, you automatically – become dangerous because of your position. So right. I think that there's some advantage that he might so have. would you just put the quarterback number one on every team? No, no I'm saying no, no, it no. as part of the argument. I think that you have to take that into account because when we're talking about dangerous, we're talking about game planning. You can't not game plan against the quarterback. I agree with you that it is easier to game plan if he's not throwing the ball well. But as far as danger is concerned, there's some people on the list that are ahead of him that maybe not have, have not – over the course of their careers, done nearly as yeah, much. But it's not about what they've done in the past. It's about what they're going to do in the fall. It's not It's not a past list at all, except as it informs the future. So, and I, and I know you know that, but I'm just saying, like, I know that the next person on the list has done very little, but I think a lot of people would agree that they think he's going to do a lot. So it, it is This is an interesting discussion. It's like, I don't yeah. think anything you're saying, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I do not think... The last five games of last year, JT Barrett was very hard to play against. How much stock do you put into the fact that it was evident by week eight that he couldn't throw the ball and they still won? Like he was still. Un- they didn't win because of their offense. He made some plays against Michigan. Like the, the offense stunk against Michigan State and like largely stunk against Michigan. In the fourth quarter in overtime, JT they Barrett on every possession. I feel like didn't they? Yeah, and like the last four possessions. The reason they, they were the in the game is because the defense played well. Curtis Samuel had a game-winning touchdown. Malik Hooker had a pick-six. I think there's something to the fact that even when you know JT Barrett cannot throw the ball, he still finds ways to make plays. And Clemson figured something out and completely shut him down. And you can't have this conversation without mentioning that. But for his entire, there have been plenty of games in JT Barrett's career where he couldn't throw the ball and he was still good enough and made enough plays for Ohio State to win. And I put a lot of stock in that. And if we're projecting toward next year, I think he's going to be a better thrower next year. Curtis Samuel ran backwards for like 15 seconds and then got 35. No, I understand. I'm not. I'm not ignoring. They would have lost. I'm not ignoring that. I understand. I'm not saying JT Barrett won the game by himself. I'm saying in overtime and in the fourth quarter, he made some throws because he was aggressive. He had that 40 yard run you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Like the guy, still when you take away a very crucial part of the offense, makes plays. So you guys would both put him number one? I would have him at least number two. Do you think – we know he's very good running the zone read, and we know – we've talked about it a million times on this podcast, what Urban Meyer wants in a quarterback. 
how many quarterbacks could be could you plop in? And again, we're not going to pretend that we know all the quarterbacks in college football, but how many people do you think you could just insert into the Ohio, the Ohio State offense and be, since this is the word we're using, just as dangerous as JT Barrett? Uh, probably less than ten. I don't know. Is that a high number? Like the obvious ones: Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Mitch Trubisky, maybe. From last year? Yeah. Like, play, I think you also have, like, are they playing with the offense that JT Barrett played with last year with a kind of crappy mm-hmm. offensive line and receivers who couldn't get open? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Five? Five quarterbacks in the country who could have elevated that offense to be something better than it was last year? Is that a low? I think that might be low. I mean, I guess, so here's the thing. It's like, okay, so the five, it's like, we know, so it's like Lamar Jackson, uh, Baker Mayfield, Maybe Trace McSorley throws a better deep ball than JT Barrett. Like, the thing that's hard to figure out, okay, if we're going last year, Deshaun Watson, mm-hmm. but like, what about, like, what if it was Mitch Trubisky or Patrick Mahomes or Luke Falk or Mason Rudolph or Josh Rosen or Sam Darnold? No. Or, like, no? no there, none of those guys can run the way that JT Barrett runs. But I think if, I guess the question, we, we and we've gone through this again, and we don't need to go through it again. We know what, Urban once we know how they work most effectively. We saw what they tried to do when they had a, more of a throwing quarterback with Cardale Jones. If they had Patrick Mahomes, or if they had Josh Rosen, or Josh Allen from Wyoming, or whomever, all these guys who were projected first rounders or just went in the first round, they would have done more to try to take advantage of their throwing skills yeah. because they wouldn't have had the running skills. Yeah. And Part of now, all caveats in the world about the problems in the passing game, we saw J.T. Barrett refuse to throw it at times. Mm -hmm. Would not let it go. There are quarterbacks out there who would have let it go and would have made throws in tight windows or done whatever, thrown a guy open. And again, this is not an argument that J.T. Barrett's not good. This is the argument of why I put him forth because – when you're at Ohio State and you are surrounded by top 100 recruits and you're playing behind an offensive line that has some pretty good guys on it, you are put in position to make some plays. And they put up zero against Clemson and did not score much in regulation against Michigan, did not score much in regulation against Michigan State, did not score much in regulation against Northwestern. And the reason they were in those games was because the defense was scoring points for them at times and kept them in games so that JT Barrett even had a chance to lead some of these comebacks. So that's what it, what went into me putting him number four. And I stand behind it. I think I don't like the echo with Ari said, like, I don't, I don't disagree really with anything you said. I think there's strong points to be made for him to be fourth or even possibly lower than that. Um, I just would I wouldn't have put him there. Also, I yelled the loudest. Yeah, you do yell a lot. You're a good yeller. I am a good yeller. I'm yeah. very good at projecting my voice sometimes. Sometimes I feel like you project your voice in an angry way when you're not even angry. Yeah, yeah. that's true. I have so much anger inside of me <laughs> that it affects time. But just so you angry. know, I can tell when you're actually angry and when you're not. Oh, for real? Yeah. We've known each other a long time. <laughs> number three, my thing's frozen. Who's number three? Nick, Nick Bosa. Bosa. Nick Bosa. All right, discuss why or why not. You would have put JT ahead of Nick Bosa. 
I mean, if it's all, if, if yeah, I, what, what percentage of this is potential based? Because if, it's, it's, if, if it, it's, the first sentence of this exact placement is, this placement is based on potential. <laughs> That's <laughs> the sentence in the story. I'm, what I wanted to do was, by the middle of next season, I want this list to match what you would do next season, not match what it is right now in spring football, but what it's going to be on the field. I think next Nick Bosa's name is the scariest, the most dangerous. Right now, yeah. People, people, people voted for him as much as Nick Bosa was the number one voted for player on this list in your poll. And people, but in the spring, and, and I wasn't around 100% in the spring, I was reading some of the, like, like Nick Bosa was saying things like, I am much more comfortable. I yep. know what I'm doing, right? Mm-hmm. Did other, did, was that a vibe or was that just what the kind of thing every player says all the no, time? No, it, it was the thing, uh, I think I might have asked him, like, cause he's not playing inside at all. He was, uh, he said at the U at the Fiesta Bowl, I'm not playing inside. He doesn't want to play inside. I don't think he's ever comfortable there. Now he is doing exactly what he wants to do. I think it's almost like if you put on number three, like that's what the expectation should be for him. So if that's if that's how you're pegging it, I would agree. If with his that. sophomore year is anything close to what Joey Bosa's sophomore year looked like, he's like number one through five on this list. Right. And I think if we're doing it based right. on potential, the fact that he's not health or not injured anymore, he's healthy from that knee injury. He had a senior year of high school, mm-hmm. and you put him on the trajectory that is maybe not fair to put him on the same level as Joey Bosa was. But if it's a similar trajectory, then he might should be number one on this list if it's based on what you think next year. The yep. one thing that we've discussed over and over again in the past is if Nick Bosa turns into sophomore Joey Bosa, there's too many people on this team. He should be getting more time, and I just don't know if he'll be on the field enough to even maximize being number one on the list. And that's the number one concern I think there is with the entire defensive line rotation. Well, what, what of you said, because I think I brought up that point before too, and Doug, you might have said, like, if he's as good as Joey Bosa, the rotation's going to shorten. Yeah. Because you don't, you don't. You don't take Joey Bosa off the field, and they didn't do it. Yeah, in, in 2015. I mean, it's just it'll be very interesting. The first month of the season, as people start adjusting to him or whatever, is he just like constantly beating single blocks? Like every time you try to to just deal with Joey, uh, I just said it. Every time you try to deal with Nick Bosa with just a left tackle or a right tackle, is he getting in the backfield? Sure. And our team starting to change as a result. Um, I think that's possible. I mean, like again. We see a lot of guys come through here who are five stars and highly rated guys who never quite maybe live up to that. But this dude, this we've been writing since this guy was like in 10th grade, how people say he's just as good or better than Joey. You know, it's been so, four and a half years since you interviewed him at the Orange Bowl. Standing in the parking lot at that high school. as he I have known you a long time, man. Yeah. Want a hug? <laughs> yeah, seriously. That is uh, crazy. That's a long time ago. Yeah, but I think that... Based on potential, I think he could be one. Yeah. Okay. So you don't. So okay. So so you're, if you're quibbling with JT at four, the thing quibble with, with Nick Bosa is, I mean, it's hard to compare, but it's not insane to you that I put Nick Bosa ahead of JT. No. Okay. Number two is Tyquan Lewis. Because like Tyquan Lewis is on this list at number two because he has proven over and over again to make big plays in big games, right, Doug? You got it. <laughs> is that what it says? <laughs> no, it's just like they had a story about why Taekwon Lewis always makes oh, big right, plays right, and big right, games right. he never wrote. But um, he's on this list more for past than future? Or are you just putting him on this list because you think it's reasonable to expect he'll do exactly what he did last year when he was Big Ten Defensive Lineman of the Year again? So um, I think in my head I am projecting a world where Nick Bosa and Taekwon Lewis end up playing the most snaps at defensive end. And in 2015, 
Tyquan Lewis led this team in sacks while Joey Bosa was being double teamed all the time. And if Nick Bosa is pretty stinking good and Tyquan Lewis is better than he was, and Larry Johnson talked a lot this spring about, he said, Larry Johnson said the reason Tyquan Lewis came back was to work on these pass rush moves for the NFL, was to make himself more refined in the technique that, okay, Larry Johnson said Tyquan Lewis can like knock a guy over and get to the quarterback, but can he do all the other things? Joey Bosa had a boatload of moves. If Tyquan Lewis adds some of these moves, last year he proved the that, that 2000... Uh, I wrote a lot about toolbox. <laughs> <laughs> 2016 by Tyquan Lewis proved that 2015 was not only about him benefiting from having Joey Bosa on the other side. He proved that he's a good player on his own. So I think if he has Nick Bosa on the other side, and Nick Bosa is what we think he might be, and Tyquan Lewis is the best he's ever been, I think Tyquan Lewis is going to be a problem. I keep waiting for him to get passed, and it hasn't happened, so I'm not going to say it's going to happen. Every single time... I watched this replay of this. He's fast. He's fast? I don't know if that's sped up. That guy, that right tackle from Northwestern. Had no shot. He's like halfway into his first side slip, slide step, and Taekwondo was his biome. That's the type of play I think we want to see from Hubbard to put him higher on the list, yeah. by the way. Yeah. I think that's the I whole that's point. Fair. Yeah. And Taekwondo Lewis, again, this is not a slam on Sam Hubbard. Taekwondo Lewis has done that much more than Sam Hubbard. It's just a, it's just true. So, so what do you think about Taekwondo Lewis at two? I'm good with it. I'm, I'm good, good with it. I'm good with it. All right. So then I think your quibble's with number one. Your yeah. primary quibble. I think... Oh, I don't know. Jerome Baker is number one on my list at a playmaking linebacker spot. Cover, tackle, blitz, do it all. Um, we saw... He only had two interceptions. They just happened to be... People think the spring game interception was in a real game from like a year ago. The crazy one. It was still awesome, though. He caught a deflected pass... Uh, that Jalen Holmes actually created. He looked like a Oklahoma Statue of Liberty. And scored against that. And he made a redonkulous interception in the Michigan game. Incredible interception. Few, I think few linebackers in college football make that kind of play where you drop back in coverage, read the play, and then have the athleticism to go up and make it. And he, the return and is return running back. Yeah. Yeah. He's a running back because he was a running back in high school. I think he's the best player on the team. So I think that that... But you would have put JT ahead of him if you were making this list. I think JT. I'm second guessing myself. Now, yeah, I'm I'm I mean, because he gets so loud, it's hard to. <laughs> yeah. you, it's not even so much that you're right; it's the intimidation of wanting to argue with you. No, it's just if uh, loud wins, loud wins, <laughs> loud wins. Go ahead. I think JT Barrett, in my mind at least, gets a lot of extra credit for being the quarterback. Yeah, and I think the reason why we pictured him higher on the list is because he has the ball in his hand on every play. So. I don't know how you game plan around a linebacker in terms of like what if, – if an opposing team is scared of Jerome Baker, what does that mean they won't do? Ever run to his side. Ever. Never run to it. But like it's more like about him as a, in coverage too, right? Like that's what yeah, makes him dangerous. I feel like danger from a game planning zone, if you have a good outside linebacker, you just have to do your best. I don't think an offense changes anything because you're a good linebacker. Yeah. So when we're thinking about danger in the sense of game planning – that's maybe why Jerome Baker might not have been number one. I think he's the best player and he's the most explosive player on the team. And I think that's a really shocking thing that to say. And I think a lot of people might disagree, but I think by the end of next year, he's going to be Darren Lee. And 
if he is Darren Lee and this kind of thing happens again where he's returning. I mean, his first game ever, he had a pick six against Oklahoma. Like, I mean, he's produced from the second he stepped on the field. Mm -hmm. And I think that you get a lot of credit for it. And we talked about a lot of times, well, Paris Campbell, why isn't he showing? This guy from the second he stepped on the field, you can tell was different. And I think that that makes a lot of impact in the danger discussion. I just don't know if he's number one based on the game planning aspect of the thought. Does he have on the team right now, like the best combination of, Sort of like known base as a playmaker plus room to grow in the next season. Does that make sense? I think it's a great yeah. explanation for it. Because like Nick, if Nick Bosa is Joey Bosa, then Nick Bosa is probably number one. If you go by only what you've done in the past, Tyquan Lewis is probably number one. But Jerome Baker has more of a track record <coughs> than Nick Bosa, and but he has more idea. of an upside than Tyquan Lewis. Yeah, in my opinion, I think that having him number one for the sake of this list makes a lot of sense, and I think. I don't know about you, but whenever we make lists like this or do things like this, I think we do it with the idea of having a point, mm-hmm. overall point. And I think your overall point might have been, or part of your overall point, not to speak for you, would be JT is not number one and here's why. And I think that that message and the the direction that you're trying to come from that message makes total sense. So it's kind of hard to argue with that. I just think that he gets a little bit of extra credit for being the quarterback. And, and that most of it was the defense is more dangerous than the offense. This mm-hmm. list of 11 is eight defenders, three offensive guys, and my top three is all defense. So Is he like – I was like, an, like put, put yourself in the shoes of an opposing quarterback. You're walking up to the line. And like last year, you're walking up to the line. You're looking at everything, and you're like, okay, where's Malik Hooker? Yeah. And now you're saying, okay, where's Jerome Baker? Like think, who else would be that guy? I think that's a good way to yeah. say it. I think that's a good way to say it. Is there anybody that didn't make the top 11 that you think should have been on? I mean, you said Jamarco Jones earlier, but it's not, like you said, a ranking of the But is that the guy you were going to say? When, if when you were going to put – well, no, because you could put – like, if it's a ranking of the top 11 players on the team, Jamarco Jones and Billy Price are probably both in the top 11. But yeah, it's one, hard to – like, I don't even know how you calculate there's, danger. There's one name that I think – why did you stop at 11? Just because of – because I was going to do nine, and then I thought, well, actually, I should get these two couple guys on, too. Because Dante Booker might have been somebody I might add at the end. He was definitely in the conversation. I would say the guys that I was thinking about that didn't make it were Booker, Price, and Jones. Because I think it's possible that Booker doesn't have enough stock right now from like a name recognition standpoint to be on the list. I think it is possible or within the realm of possibility but by week eight next year, Booker would be in the top five. I didn't write this. I don't know why I didn't write it, but I asked Bill Davis. So I wrote a story in, in Spring Ball about Jerome Baker and Dante Booker and how they're kind of viewed um, as equals. And I asked linebackers coach Bill Davis at, after the spring game just about Dante Booker. And he said, Dante Booker is the fastest and probably the most athletic guy in the linebacker room. And I was like stunned to hear that. So with that, and, and, and Bill Davis in the conversation for strongest at one point too? Yeah, Bill Davis is going to strike me as a guy who just like says things to say them. Um, like he, I think he believed like if what that's he was telling true. Me. Yeah. Then Dante Booker might be number four in week eight. Yeah. Did Jerome Baker tell Bill Davis to say, "Go find that six yeah. five guy and tell him how athletic Jerome?" <laughs> yeah, I'm very possible. Still on yeah. one. Yeah. So okay, so we're at forty seven minutes in. I think we should go straight to food. Okay, and I want to go straight to food. If you want, because you have you did tease recruiting. Yeah, I, I will give you like a the a one minute breakdown. How's okay. that? Reset the class, and then yeah, reset. Ohio State has nine verbal commitments right now um, in the class, which means they're probably forty percent full. Um, they only have one offensive. What do you think is a target number? I think like twenty three, maybe or okay. twenty four. Yeah. 
Um, and if the math is off, then that's just typical and not on purpose. Um, um, but there's a lot of talk because, like, last year people thought that Ohio State's 2017 recruiting class, including myself, it's a fact on paper, was the deepest, most talented class coming into the program in program history. And um, this year's numbers actually could be on track to be better statistically from that standpoint, which is incredible. Um, at this point right now, they only have one offensive lineman committed, and that's four-star Max Ray from Franklin, Tennessee. I think Ohio State's going to want five or six offensive linemen in this year's class. Yeah. And if that's the case, then it's possible that the sexiness level of this class in terms of like what it looks like in paper is going to maybe go down a little bit. Seeing some three-stars maybe coming. And, and of course, one of those offensive linemen Ohio State wants to get is five-star Jackson Carmen. So maybe that's not completely – he's the number one overall target and will remain the number one overall target till he makes a decision. It's down to Clemson and Ohio State, it seems like, at this point between those two. And I'm, I'm – Fairly certain that probably Ohio State will end up with him because that's just kind of the way it works. Um, five-star defensive end Micah Parsons was a commitment of Penn State. Decommitted after visiting Ohio State. Now Ohio State seems to be in the driver's seat for him. He's another one of those defensive ends that just, you know, the five-star defensive end that gets everybody excited. Five-star linebacker um, Tarada Mitchell from Virginia Beach, who I want to go do a story on because I've never been to Virginia Beach. Um, it's pretty... So high on Ohio State. It's a, good way to, State. it's a good way to get that story of that trip approved. Yeah, that's what I'm going like, to tell my boss. I just want to go to Virginia Beach. Yeah. Um, and then there's a lot of in-state talent. So the point is, I think right now they're on a very fast track. They've got a five-star quarterback um, committed in the top overall defensive tackle. And if, I think if you want to, like, in every single recruiting class, if you said, what are the two cornerstones that you want to build your class around? You would want a five-star defensive tackle and a five-star quarterback probably, right? So... And then there's another other like guys on the list who were flirting and fringe five star prospects. The point is they're deep, and there's a lot of five stars still on the horizon. And if you want to know exactly who all their targets are in terms of orders of importance, I wrote a story about it early this week called "Ranking Ohio State's 2018 Recruiting Targets in an Order of Importance." So I encourage you to go check that out. What? Uh, and we'll we'll do this. We can never talk too much about quarterbacks. Percentage chance Emory Jones signs with Ohio State. I think that the percentage is going up. Seems to be. Because, like, a month ago, I thought it was pretty shaky for a minute with the. But every single chance that he's had to discuss his recruitment, um, he's said that he's firmly and solidly committed to Ohio State. And I think that he's in these text message conversations and helping Ohio State actively recruit. And I think that's always a pretty good sign. I would give him 70%, maybe. How much of the thirty percent is based on how well the offense or how good the offense looks this year? I think zero. Really? I think thirty percent is based off visiting other teams that are just as good as Ohio State, like Alabama, who don't have the quarterback. You, you don't think another years. bad offensive season would have any impact on his recruitment? I think that kids come in generally thinking that they're the reason why it's not good. No. I don't know. I mean, I he's from Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there was a thing. We we are the you guys mostly, but we are the authority on Georgia. Recruiting and Bill's the authority. What are we talking about here? And the University of Georgia's inability to recruit its home state effectively. Um, and there ended up being some draft discussion. Someone mentioned that the University of Georgia, I think, did not have someone picked until like the fifth round of the mm-hmm. draft. And it was the latest they had ever gone and not had someone picked in many, many years. And then I just did like a quick run of a recruiting thing and pointed out all the players from Georgia who were drafted. 
including like Sean Watson and Raquan McMillan and Alvin Kamara and Carl Lawson and like a boatload of guys, and none of them went to Georgia. And then this year, I think of the ten top ten players in Georgia, seven are committed elsewhere and none to Georgia. So, <laughs> so like zero of the top ten. That's that's striking. And you would have thought that's the number one thing that Kirby Smart has to fix when he gets to Georgia. Just like when Chris Ash gets to New Jersey, you got to recruit New Jersey. And everybody who takes a job at a college where in your state you have talent. Here's my roundabout question. Like, is, is, is Emory Jones like number one on Kirby Smart's list of like must get players or? He's not the best dual threat quarterback in Georgia. Okay. There's the one, best there's quarterback. one better than him is going to Penn State. Who's he? Justin Fields. So, I mean, like, is this, like, is, uh, now, but Georgia. The number one player in the entire recruiting class is a quarterback in Georgia, and he's going to Clemson. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence. Looks like sunshine. But, um. Six foot six, 196, has got a cannon. (laughs) There was the kid that Mark Richt recruited from, like, California or something, right? And then he left Georgia, and I think the kid's still signed in Georgia, at Georgia, and he's a quarterback. Oh, yeah. So maybe they have their quarterback in the future lined up and they don't need this. I was just, I didn't know how much, because to me, if you have a, right, if you have a committed player and you are worried about him decommitting, most of the time, the team that would scare you the most is the in-state powerhouse. Georgia only has one commitment from top 50 players in Georgia. I was just going to say that. And it's number 46. And if you go up He's the list... He's going fired if he doesn't recruit better than this. Florida State, Michigan, Alabama, Auburn. What is going... Uh, you guys got to go back. Clemson, go back. and Notre Dame, on Ohio State, and Penn State all have commitments of get the prospects higher. Go to I will get in the car. Let's go, Dollar office And ask what is... So that's my, that was my question is, is part of this, like Emory Jones, is there any part of like Kirby Smart is going to be doing whatever he can do every minute of every day between now and the first Wednesday in February to get him because Georgia is failing at recruiting Georgia. But maybe... They're failing. Like, they're not just failing. There are... What's a harsher way of saying failing? I mean, this is a joke. I mean, could you imagine if Ohio State only had one Ohio kid committed and he was number 46? And when you start getting down into the 40s in a state... Yeah, we're talking like three and fringe two-star prospects here. They should be turning away the forty-sixth best kid in Georgia because they have too many top fifteen players, like yeah. Ohio State. Because yeah. Ohio have... State's turning away number eight player in Ohio. That's and, and I just saw a stat today that in the most recent NFL draft, the state of Georgia had the most draft picks, more than Florida. Yeah, it's the most underachieving program in college sports. And I wrote a list like a year ago of like sleeping giants. You remember that? I do. Yeah, it was fun. Georgia was number one. They're a joke right and now. They are like, I mean, there's joke. no other way to say it. Like, Kirby Smart, earn your money. <laughs> Let's talk about food delivery. Okay, <laughs> so here's how this started. I live in the short north area of Columbus, so um, I could walk to a lot of places and eat. But I also find it's a pain in the butt to drive and try to find parking to places in the area. I was really hungry the other night. And I wanted Chipotle salad. I didn't even get a burrito, which is the biggest joke. Because, like, I could even pay more for the tortilla. You know what I mean? The salad was $7.95, and I paid 16 bucks for it to come delivered to me in Postmates. So it got us on the topic of how crazy is it to pay a lot of money for food delivery? What is a worthy thing to have delivered? Because pizza is really the only one that you think is a delivery, and maybe sometimes Chinese. But even then, that doesn't really happen. I've never ordered Chinese before in my life. 
and had it delivered to my front door. I don't know. Have you? That's next week's conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Of course I have. Never never once as a kid in Phoenix have I done that and never as an adult. I've only time I've ever gotten Chinese is either going to the restaurant or picking it up. But I think Doug was personally offended that I paid 100% of the product price for the delivery charge. And there's like all these charges. You got to tip the guy. What do you think is a reasonable thing to do? And then groceries being delivered is a thing now. What do you think is a... Do you think I'm crazy for doing that? No, I've done it. Uh, I try not to do it because it is like I acknowledge that it's crazy while I'm doing it. But I paid like I paid a ten dollar delivery uh, charge a few months ago from a Chinese restaurant that was literally around the corner from my apartment. I just did not feel like getting off the couch, so I went on Grubhub and had them bring me the food and paid the ten dollar delivery charge. Because um, sometimes you're just in a zone. It. I didn't feel good about it. I felt bad, but, but I didn't feel awful. Because I felt it. bad, but then I also felt like I'm in a zone right now. I was zone actually, of what? I was actually writing a little bit. Oh, I was okay. transcribing some stuff, and I was watching my pitcher in my fantasy baseball <laughs> throw. And I just was like, really, like, just kind of relaxing, and I didn't feel like. And it's like unseasonably cold right now, and I didn't want to put socks on. It was like a whole thing, and I know it sounds completely lazy because it is nobody's disputing the laziness it's whether or not it's worth it and i think at times acknowledging that it's laziness and feeling bad about it i think is a good enough price to pay (laughs) because doug doesn't even get pizza delivered so he here's the here's the thing so i do you guys calculate your life this way because like for instance like i pay someone to mow my grass Mm-hmm. which a lot of people would be up in arms about, probably. Um, and previous to that, my, my wife mowed the grass. Um, so I have not mowed my own lawn in a very, very long time. Um, but I can get someone to mow my lawn for like $25. But my lawn with like the mower I had probably takes like three hours to mow. So to pay someone like less than $10 an hour to mow my lawn... And that's a three-hour chunk of time that I can either work or, like, hang out with my kids or do something more productive than mow my lawn. That, to me, is a worthwhile expenditure to me. But I often break things down in terms of per hour. Like, if, if this was – if you were being paid to do it, like, it's the reverse, right? So if someone said to me, I'll give you 25 bucks to mow my lawn for, for three – I'll take it three hours. I wouldn't do it. Right? Right. But if someone said to you, I'll give you $8 to go to Chipotle that's half a block away, how far is it? I don't want to exaggerate. It's literally a five minute It's less than a while. If someone said to you right now, I'll give you $8 to walk to Chipotle, stand in line, and walk back. No. Wouldn't that be $8 easy money? I paid the $8 to not do that because that sounds like a nightmare. Standing in line at Chipotle is the worst thing ever. I guess to me, like with stuff like that, there's either one, two things at play. It's either extreme laziness or extreme disposable income. That like you just have enough disposable it's income def- that like yeah. it's more about it's whatever. Laziness. It's definitely laziness for me because I do not have disposable income. Yeah, so, I'm not. But, I'm not trying to be, but like Postmates is in business because people do it. So, but if you're like so, if like you're busy like making money, like I'm making a lot of money and it's worth eight bucks. I'm just the thing I'm doing. I'm making more money than the eight dollars I'm giving up, or. My life is so filled with constant stuff. I literally don't. The kids have practice, and I have to go do this, and I have to go volunteer, and plus I have to do my parents are coming into town. I'm so busy. 
I'm more prone to go get my food while I'm out and about doing stuff than I am when I'm home. But I guess the question would be at the end of the day, if you count it up, and I don't know how often you do it, like, what if you, is it like a one-time thing? Or if you at the end of the day... I've only gotten Postmates twice, but I pay the delivery for pizza all the time. Like, if you add up and think, wow, I paid $200 in delivery fees. In a year? In a, in a, oh, I don't know, like, whatever. Like... That's you can do a lot. Of, you can do a lot with two hundred dollars. And yeah. did you get? Did the laziness? And maybe laziness is too harsh of a word. But did the inconvenience that you avoided was that worth the two hundred bucks that you could have then used to buy something cool See, like or go thing, with somewhere cool or put in the bank? The or thing whatever. I don't I calculate it that way. I don't think about it that way. But I also the idea of getting up off my couch when I'm relaxing or doing something. Going to my car, driving, struggling to find a parking spot, only to walk into Chipotle and wait in line for 20 minutes because that is the worst line in all of food. To me, I thought $8 to avoid that entire process was definitely worth it. You can call ahead. you know that? Do you jump in front of the line or yeah. you used to stick? You do? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um, I'm not saying I've that it's done. Some, it, but, yeah. I mean, everybody has their line. I mean, if it was $20, would you have done it? No. No. Yeah. Which, if it was $20 for the food that you got... I don't think I'd go over 10 I felt uncomfortable doing it. I felt bad paying 7 for something that only cost 7 Yeah. I paid double the amount. I paid 10 for something that cost like 30 bucks, so it wasn't quite the same I think that, like, the delivery fee should be... The delivery fee should be um, comparable to how much you're paying in total, I think. And the distance, too. Because, like, I would pay... Massey's doesn't deliver here. I would pay 10 bucks for them to deliver to me. I think Instead of going to the east side of Columbus and parking on Main Street to go get it and then coming all the way back 20 minutes. I think part of the issue is, is it maybe tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like delivery in this part of the country is like almost like a novelty. Like where I grew up on the east coast in Philadelphia, like we just got everything delivered. It was like the pizza place around the corner. You paid a $2 delivery charge. The guy came to your front door, gave you your food. You gave him 2 or $3 in cash, and like your delivery charge was tops all told $5, and that was just like normal. Like, did, when I moved to places that didn't have delivery, I thought it was weird. But did you – you lived in the city. Like, was it hard to park? Like, if you left your spot to go get the pizza, would you have trouble finding a place to park? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a consideration, right, of urban living? Like, sometimes, like – It was like you live in, like a, like, a city grid. It's all row homes. The delivery guy double parks in the middle of the street. People honk yeah. on him while he's taking his time. And then he goes around and goes around the corner and does the same thing. I mean, it's – you know, I live in the suburbs. It's very easy for me to pull out of my driveway, drive to the strip mall where the food is, park in the parking lot of the strip mall, walk in, get it, and go home. I have, like, a really hard time because, like, I feel like driving around here is annoying. Especially, like, if I want it, like, at 5 or 6 or 7 o'clock, like, driving through the back area to, like, go out the gate and then to come home and push. Like, and I know it sounds so stupid, but, like, just the idea of driving near High Street and getting something on High Street and parking your car near High Street is a complete disaster to me and something I don't want to do. I've I've passed on eating meals at places because of the parking. You are um, easily inconvenienced. I am. But here's the thing also. It's also my personality. I get really worked up. But when you... And you guys will get to this point, but like when you're a parent, you don't just get to do only the stuff you want to do. <laughs> yeah. So like I'm inconvenienced and it's not it, it's not inconvenience, it's just life. I do things that I don't want to do, but other people want me to do or that need to be done like every minute of every day. I'm constantly doing that. I've never and done anything that somebody You have me literally to do. in your life never, never done it. <laughs> yeah. You have only for almost 30 years done what you wanted to do in that moment. That is um uh, yes, that's correct. <laughs> so, which is my favorite part about my life. 
So it's like, well, you know, I mean, like my wife ran my daughter's lunch up to school today because she forgot it. So that was kind of an inconvenience. So it's like, well, of course, I'm not going to pay four bucks to get something delivered because I'm going to go because... Your daughter couldn't get her lunch delivered from like Postmates? Yeah. (laughs) Call... But like, <laughs> yeah. honestly, if you're at That's home, salad for lunch. and you're at home, and you're with your wife, and you guys are all as a family in your in your living room watching TV, and you get your food delivered, and it's five bucks for everybody's food to come. Wouldn't you just rather hang out with your family for that extra twenty minutes? No, I'm no. I mean, that's I'd rather have the five bucks. I think that the vacation one time. of my main problems, and I think that my parents and people who know me would agree, is. To me, five dollars is such an insignificant amount of money, and I buy a lot of things and spend five dollars a lot. And I think if I were to look at it at the end of the year and say, "Here's all the stupid crap you spent five dollars on over the course of the past three hundred sixty-five days," I might spit my drink out. Can I tell you something? But I don't realize it. My girlfriend and I, for the last two years, every time we get cash change back or just have cash on hand, and it's not often, every time we have a five-dollar bill, we take that five-dollar bill and put it in a middle tin. Mm-hmm. And we're going to use that money to go on vacation in a few weeks. It's like six hundred dollars. Like it's crazy because like I was paying fifteen. Don't come rob my house. <laughs> Address is. I was paying twenty dollars more a month than I should be for my rent for two years, and then like I went to pay my rent, and she goes, "You know, you have a twenty five hundred dollar or like whatever. It was like a eight hundred dollar surplus that you don't have to pay us, right?" And I was like, "Why?" And she goes, "You've been overpaying your rent," and I was like. Holy crap, that's that easy to save $800? But I do think that, like, if there's a $5 parking fee, I'll pay the $5 so I don't have to be inconvenienced to drive around trying to find a spot. Oh, my Like, God. I do stuff like well, you've that. You've been like, with me. I do it, yeah. You are crazy. I will walk a and mile the only and a half. reason why I don't yeah. say anything when we're in public is because I just don't want to get into an argument about it. But, like, I will gladly pay $5 a day for things to not inconvenience my, the way I live my life. Yeah, and I yeah. probably have spent five thousand dollars in the last ten years on stupid crap that I didn't that you didn't send five dollars for. But if somebody said you could go a decade without feeling inconvenienced for five grand, I would probably pay. <laughs> I will say, but but yeah, but your threshold of inconvenience is very is, low. Yeah, yeah, is and will change. Will change as you as your life changes. Um, you walk four miles to save six bucks of the papers of the of the website's money. Yeah, God, we walk so far. It was a Big Ten media day like two years – either this year or two years ago. Um, to not get a cab. To not take a cab. Like after we had just eaten pizza, I'm full of pizza and I'm hot. gigantic. And it's hot and humid and we're walking down – I don't even know what the road is like in Michigan Chicago. Avenue we probably river. walked like yeah. eight yeah. miles. I mean, it, like in our dress We did it when we, when we left so uh, – when we were at the Combine. Uh, I thought we walked – I mean maybe that was the best possible place to park, but I think I walked five miles that week. Oh, I didn't think that, that wasn't that bad. Um, and then – okay, the last thing too, grocery shopping. Yeah. This is a big one. This is a new trend. Yeah. So you would never pay – just so I go, you would never do Postmates unless yeah, you needed it, it. I mean unless it was like a very extreme circumstance where I literally did not have time. Okay. Groceries. Right. I think it's in between five and seven bucks for somebody to deliver all your groceries. And what are the things that most grown adults with children hate doing the most is probably bringing groceries into the house, right? By the way, like, I think the reason why I am this way is because my parents literally did everything for me when I was a kid. And that might have been, like, their problem. <laughs> the reason my parents took the trash out, did my laundry, filled my gas tank. 
like if the gas was low, my dad would wake up a half hour early and go put gas in the car. So I didn't, I didn't know how to pump gas while I was in college. I had to fill my dad's gas tank. I didn't even have a car. Like, but like, so like, I think I might've been like pampered of like my, my mom cleaned my room. Yeah. And I don't know if it was just like, I don't know if, why they did it that way or why? Cause I know that like, I didn't have chores. Yeah. But I also had a full-time job since I was 16 years old, so I, I wasn't the biggest waste of space. But I think the reason I hate being inconvenienced is because my dad acts the same way I do in public. If we're at Outback Steakhouse and it's taking 10 minutes to sit down, I get frustrated because I feel like they're just standing there doing nothing, even though that's not what's happening. And my dad gets frustrated that way. But I think the minor inconveniences like laundry, I would never in a million years live in a place that did not have a laundry unit in the apartment. I have no idea how people put laundry in a thing and then walk with it outside of their apartment and sit in a laundromat for an hour waiting for it and only to go home. I, uh, that sounds like a that's, nightmare to that's, me. That's, that is again, a nightmare. This is getting into the deep. Again, to be fair, nobody chooses that. And if, if that's what you do, it's probably because that's what you have to do. I don't know that there's anybody who says, you know what? I like what going but to the But you're the type of person that I would pay $100 a month more in rent. And again, whatever happens is based on what you can do financially. And I'm, yeah, not, I, yeah. I'm not saying that if you can't afford to live in – but in a place like Columbus, Ohio, 90% of the apartments have laundry in it. Mm-hmm. I would pay $100 to $200 more a month for that one specific convenience. And I think the reason why I've turned out this way is because of the way I was brought up. So that's on you, Mom and Dad. <laughs> but groceries, I hate going to the grocery store. I hate checking out at grocery stores. I think the people who work in grocery stores, for the most part, who check you out are often slow and don't care how long it takes. No offense to any of you who are listening. I'm not saying everyone, but you know, you're either good at checking people out or you're not. And I think that the machines that have... Dude, these guys are cringing. I'm sorry. Uh, the machines that do it yourself are such a pain where it's like it doesn't weigh properly. I can't – like if the Pringles can doesn't weigh exactly what it's supposed to weigh, I've got to take it out, redo it. I think checking out at a grocery store, especially at Walmart – I only go grocery shopping at midnight at Walmart most of the time because – like for big grocery shopping visits because it's the only time I could possibly tolerate checking out. So there's this new thing where you can just – Shop on your on your laptop now, and, and somebody will bring you all your groceries. And I think for it's a hundred bucks. If you spend a hundred bucks, it only costs like five dollars. Grocery shopping. Would you do that? If it took everything, like the entire up and down the aisles thing, away, no pushing the cart, no checking out, no standing in line, no waiting for other people to fumble through their coupons, which I hate. <laughs> you're, not, you're not a big couponer. I don't coupon. I respect the couponing. I don't want to wait 20, 10 extra minutes to check out because you have coupons yeah. that you can't find. They never can find them. They're never just there. And then they got to scan them. And it's just, again, anything that costs me, that makes me wait four extra minutes in my day drives me insane. If you lost your credit card, you can't find your wallet, you don't know where the, you forgot to, you forgot to bring the cat food up from the bottom of the cart to scan it. There's a million and, things that and, happen. And I'm not. In the course of a day where people – just get it together. You can't figure out what seat you are on the airline. You can't open up the top bin and put your luggage in. All the things that people have a hard time doing in life drive me insane. What about uh, a couple of days ago? I was just like uh, enjoying my life, not doing anything, and you locked yourself out of your apartment. I had to come over here and give you your key. I would have been annoyed. 
I'm not saying I'm never I'm never part of the problem. I lose my wallet every other week. Today I left the gas station with the wallet on the top of my car and somebody to knock on my window before I drove out and send oh your wallet. Did you find your sunglasses the other week? By the gone. way, gone, gone for real. They were stolen. There's no other explanation for it. But anyway, sorry for the little mini rant. I just want you all to like know me. You know. They know you. <laughs> do you. Do you think that paying for groceries to avoid the entire grocery trip, which could take legitimately an hour and a half, depending on what type of grocery shopping you're doing, would be worth somebody bringing them to you? I would. My wife one time did like the Amazon delivery thing. Yeah. Like we tried it out. And we got just essentials. We got bacon and toilet paper, which is just in our house is That's all you need to live. Um, and I was like, I don't think we should be doing this anymore. Like, it's how much did you pay for all that? I, I, I mean, like, it was whatever the fee, and it was like, now again, I literally live less than a mile from three gigantic grocery stores, so it is very easy for me to go. But I also find grocery shopping to be a personal experience. That like, I like it. Yeah. I don't want someone to pick my bananas because they're my, they're going to pick the crappy ones. I want to pick the ones right on the edge of being ripe. I don't want them. What if you see like a good sale, like? I, I would yeah. not. Want and sometimes you go through the that. aisle and you <clears throat> see something you end up buying that wouldn't even dawned on yeah, you before you walk in. Of it is like, oh, yeah. But like, I don't, animal crackers. Personally, okay. I don't really buy a lot of like fresh fruit and produce and stuff. I think a lot of the stuff that I get is is what it is. Like, if you want fruity pebbles, and you're just going to get fruity pebbles or yeah. whatever it is. So do I don't you want know. The family I don't, size box. A, you want like there's three different sizes. On the internet, you can figure it out. Like you know, they tell you they tell you what size it is. And I think if you're cooking for a family, I don't know what your guys' dinner plans are, but if you have some nights you guys get pizza, and the other nights, like Katie makes a nice grilled chicken fillet with broccoli and all that stuff. That uh-huh. like you, I've never made a meal like that, so I don't have to worry about that kind of thing. Made a lovely lamb stew the other night. You did? Yeah, it was a team effort. Yeah, I like I like going to I grocery shop. Like I said, really late at night, and I don't mind going late at night because there's less people in my way. Yeah, and I think if there's a a, a condition, a health condition that makes you feel like no matter what you want to do. There's always somebody in your way. I feel like that's I have that because like even when I want to, there's pull, a word for it. I can't say it on the podcast. Every, every single time I want to pull into a parking spot, the person in the car next to it has their door open. I feel like I encounter these types of things more than other people, and I don't know if it's just because my mind notices those things. I would not pay the delivery. I would go to the grocery store, which might be a surprise to you. I don't mind going at night. Yeah, and again, you. The t- when you are being inconvenienced and rushing to get home, and I'm a jerk. My, my kids think I'm a jerk. I yell at people in public all the time. Um, you are rushing home to do what? Rushing home <laughs> to sit on my couch with my <laughs> shirt off and watch baseball in the yeah. peace of my own home. No, I know. I know. It's just, I'm not I saying mean, it's rational, but this is what I grew up watching my entire My father is like that. So it's just yeah. kind of the way – it's second nature to me. But I think I generally assign incompetence to people that don't deserve it a lot too. I am very willing to pay people to do things that I feel like I can't do. Mm-hmm. Like I pay handymen to like hang up my TV and stuff because I think I'm going to screw it up. But I am very – and again, the mowing the lawn thing, some people would argue with. I rationalize that very easily because it's like – it's not fun. It's very it's very time-consuming to do. You get really sweaty. There's physical exertion. If I feel like it's not that hard for me to do something – I am very reluctant to pay for someone else to do it. Okay. Because I pay for everything to do everybody, all the things. I paid the assembly fee at Ikea to put something together. Wow. When I got my desk, you came over and put it together. I yeah, paid somebody you, to put together this office chair. Nothing. <laughs> I gave him a hug or something. I got a nice Coke Zero today, though. 
Okay. I feel like this is... This didn't turn into a food thing. It turned into Ari's personal... Like a therapy session a little bit. I feel worse now. (laughs) I wonder what the people will think. I want feedback on this. I want people to comment... And I want people to tweet at us this this deep dive. And next week we'll move, we'll move it around. If you yeah. see we'll me, do Bill, yeah. we'll do me. If you'll you'll find me I would love to. If you, I want to know what really irks you guys. But there are times, and you've seen it. Bill's always very aware of it, and like he gets mad. I feel like you get annoyed with me. I get but, like I grind my teeth. I like clench my fists. I look the other way. I mumble under my breath. Let's get it together, people. I am visibly annoyed in public eighty percent of the time. I'm in public. If I'm, like, walking through the mall and somebody's kid jumps in front of me, I am annoyed by that. Yeah. Everything annoys me. And I might die because of it. Yeah. you got to find a way to let it out. If somebody's kid is screaming in a restaurant, I go crazy. Yeah. Like, if you bring a, a baby into a public... I mean, everything. Everything that would possibly get you off track from what you want to do in your own experience irritates me to my core. Thanks for listening to Buckeye. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to uh, it's hard to uh, not comment. Uh, but do I do things to you guys? And I, this is so pr- I don't care if it goes long. I'm, I need this. I need this for my personal, people. Do I do things to you guys that make your lives harder a lot? No, because I feel like in public, and the reason why I rationalize my anger all the time is when I'm in public and I'm checking out. If I'm at a gas station and I'm buying a pack of gum, or I'm at the grocery store, or I'm getting gas, or I'm doing anything, I don't feel like I'm the problem. If there's somebody behind me, they don't have to wait an extra five minutes because I got it together. Yeah. No, I, I mean... And there's a whole, like... I mean, courtesy's a thing. Yeah, yeah. No, people... I mean, like, the whole... Like, people, you're, you're six deep at Chipotle, or 40 deep, don't, and then no. someone gets up there, and then they look at the menu. And then they check. Yeah, social contract, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm a very strong believer in the social contract, and people break the social contract... All the time. That they are not aware of their surroundings and don't think how their actions affect other people. And my biggest thing in I life is that. being unaware of my surroundings. But in that specific area yeah. of life, when it comes to being in public and checking out and people waiting for me to complete doing something, I think I'm very aware of being as fast as possible. I mean, but there's a difference between that and like a baby crying and like everybody goes through this Don't in bring life. your infant baby to a Chinese food restaurant. Like, Just don't. Don't do it. <laughs> don't bring your infant baby to a sit-down place that's dimmed and has light candles and people are trying to have a relaxing dinner and all we can hear is your infant shouting. Why would you bring your infant baby to a nice Chinese... This happened to me on Friday night. And my head exploded. A and you also feel you deserve a that's nice That's part of the deal. If you have a child, then you have to... That, that's part of it. <sighs> Did you bring your infant on an airplane? Don't bring your dog on an airplane. I don't want okay, to hear your dog barking on an airplane. Dogs and infants. No, I know, but like, and if you have to travel somewhere with an infant, I don't think your infant needs to go to Bermuda for a nice family vacation. I think if I have an infant, I'm probably not going to be going to Bermuda. Don't bring them to Chinese. Looking restaurant. forward to you having children. Yeah. Um, that's Buckeye talk. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. That's Ari Wasserman. That's Bill Landis. <laughs> I'm Doug Lee Maurice. Again, this happened last week. Where someone uh, tweeted me about that JT Barrett has never showed any shimmy or whatever, and it was what Ari said. So Ari said, still. Ari said all that stuff. So don't tweet us. <laughs> did I say anything? Took did I say anything politically incorrect or anything? Like you might not agree with my opinion, but was I offensive in any way? Maybe there. Everybody goes through this in life. There is the time when you are a young person and you kind of only have to worry about yourself. And 
lots of people. I thought things like this that you just said. And then you like have a family and you realize that most people in the world are just doing the best they can. And sometimes they just need a little, they need people to give them a little slack because you can't lock yourself in your house for two years when you have a baby. Like you have to go live your life and like, and stuff like that happens, you know? And like, you just have a better awareness of it when you go through it a little bit. And that's just how it happens for everybody. So maybe in Buckeye Talk 2025, if I'm married and have a child, I'll say sorry. But for now, don't bring your kids to the restaurant. (laughs) Shout out, by the way, to our our friend Adam Jardy from the Columbus Dispatch who just had another baby. Oh, congrats, Adam. Um, So anyway, Ari Wasserman, Bill Landis, Doug Maurice. You can find us on uh, cleveland.com slash OSU. Find Buckeye Talk on iTunes or on Stitcher. Go subscribe. Uh, It's football. It's fast food, and it is deep, deep personal revelations. You never know what Buckeye Talk is going to bring you. Um, So thank you for listening, and that was Buckeye Talk.